Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today, delighted to be joined by Phil Thorne, who's part of the founding team at Quarso. Hi, Phil. How are you? I am good. Thank you very much, Simon. How about yourself? Brilliant. Yeah, it's, uh, as we're recording, we're in heatwave number two. So it is very, very warm, very, very nice. Although as part of the traditional British way of moaning about the weather, we could do with some rain because uh, my <laughs> garden is absolutely uh, brown. So um, yeah, we're never happy uh, about the weather. N- never happy, as is as is the majority of the UK, is, is a, a yellow brown at the moment when you look around it rather than the luscious green that it normally is. So if you listen to this soon after recording, I'm sure you'll appreciate it. If you're listening to it in the middle of winter, then we did have some hot weather at some point. Uh, anyway, on to business. Phil, as I said, you're part of the founding team at Quarso. Before we find out about Quarso and what you guys are doing and how you're helping all sorts of companies all over the world, just tell us a bit about yourself, a bit of a career bio. Where did you, um, where did you start your career? How did you get to what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. So I think like about two thirds of the population now. I started my career stacking shelves, uh, being in a retailer itself, but that, that's not where I went immediately. I started off actually being really interested in the whole area of management. So actually did a lot around the academic side of that and then went on to help businesses more in an advisory capacity uh, to have a look at their businesses and see whether or not they were, where they could add value to them. But really, I suppose the, the most relevant thing, kind of as you mentioned, is about six years ago, I joined the founding team of Corso. And we joined it because there was a realization that I'd had over the previous 10 years, along with, with the other founders, that there was a big group within society who are absolutely essential of the most, probably one of the most valuable cogs within society there is, which is managers, uh, and that they were overworked, overloaded, and pretty underappreciated. So uh, we set out to, to make a stop to that. Uh, so I, I joined when we were just three people in a cupboard, you know, one of those stories. Uh, and now today, we, uh, as you mentioned, we work with some of the largest retailers in the world, uh, like the largest store network in the US, which is Dollar General, people like PetSmart, Tractor Supply Company, are all using our platform today to, to help manage their businesses. Amazing. One of those, um, I love those stories, like you say, started in a broom cupboard and, and scales <laughs> up. It's um, You must be really proud of where you started to where you've got to. Yeah, I'm proud of everyone um, who, who's helped us get there on the way. I mean, business is not an individual sport. Uh, as we well know, it is, is, it is a team sport, as, as any retailer will know as well. And as with everything, it's been the ups and downs. I think one, one of the things that's been not just the pride, but also it, it, it's been really fantastic to be in a founding team and grow and be involved in so many different areas of the business. The only thing I think, and despite being a technology company, I do not code. So I, I can't give anyone a, advice on on how to write the best software on those side of things. But on the commercial side of things, if anyone who listens to this is interested in starting your business, thinking about all different functions and facets of it, I, I'd be more than happy to have a conversation with them. Excellent. Excellent. And um, we'll get on to contact deals late, later, but website, your LinkedIn profile, as ever, we'll add in the show notes. So tell us a bit about the business then. So we've at a high level, we know you help retailers, we know we've scaled up, but you were talked about managers there and then being one of the, the most important cogs, whether that be store managers, I assume, or regional area, divisional, whatever you would kind of call it, those field management teams. So what exactly do you help organizations solve at Corso? Yeah, and 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 uh, thanks. So, if you think about the role of a district or area manager, even a store manager, the the nature of what they have had to do, particularly in the last two years, but over the last twenty, thirty years, has 
increased hugely in terms of the complexity. You, you don't just have the transactions happening within the four walls. You have a number of other things that have come in from the omni-channel side or the, or the fulfillment side of things. I think what we realized when we started Corso is the burden, both analytically, administratively, but also on the stores themselves, has massively increased. But the nature of the way that people run those stores or, or send information to those stores has been pretty consistent over time, which is people will give another system or give another report so that the average manager is getting 30 to 40 different reports every single week, not really knowing what to focus on, not really knowing what to do. And so the idea behind Corso was to take all that information and tasks, which are across multiple different systems, multiple different areas at the moment. And one of the reasons why 60 to 80% of a week's time of a store or district manager is spent on the administrative side of things and remove the noise and focus it down to the personalized and prioritized actions for that manager that week, whether it's something like a task that they need to perform very simply on training a staff member or something like that, or it's something that is having a direct impact on the business, which is, for instance, they're opening late or they're closing early and that's something that they need to fix. Or the nature of what we do with looking at the data analytics is look at where are the underperforming items within their business and really specifically targeting at those people. So rather than saying your sales are down, saying your sales are down in cookies on Thursday afternoons, and this might be the reason behind it. So getting very, very prescriptive on the analytics and the information that we're providing there. And then the whole idea around that is to provide them a really engaging workflow where they can take the right, right action. Of course, it will track and measure whether or not it's actually been impactful or not. And then we've got a whole load of other features and functionality that help them plan their week or help them celebrate the success of their team or really know where they need to focus and, and prioritize their efforts to, to, to make the most of their business. So, I mean, I suppose in summary, it's, it's an analytics tool on one hand, but it's really a, a, a tool that is helping the workflow of the manager every week so they can focus on the really important things and get rid of doing the really time-sapping things around the administration and the analytics side of things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and from some of our studies, I know we kind of talk offline every now and again that we do with leadership roles, our role studies, we see see and quantify lots of that admin time or KPI reporting time or gathering data for a regional manager, area manager that may be better and more accurately available in the centre. So all, all those uh, localisms and I kind of, as you were talking there, I was thinking about my time as a store manager many, many years ago now, unfortunately. Um, when we used to get a blue bag and every Friday we get a blue bag this is you know email was around but pre whatsapp and all that kind of stuff in the blue bag would be all the things from head office could be 60 70 documents uh, all the varying sizes all with various requests in action and the good managers guess what prioritized it got it right um but there wasn't many of them most people something fell through the net or there was that many checks and balances in place it just became an admin overhead so it's uh Looking back, it's really interesting to see how things have progressed, um, but there's still that plethora of data that exists in all these organizations that it's difficult to see the wood from the trees unless you've got something like this to help you. Yeah, and I think the thing that's interesting, if you even think about the blue bag and you think about what's uh, available today, all that information is relevant, but it's not always relevant to an individual at a certain time. In fact, when we when we look at our data on this, we find that the things that we surface to an individual manager will only be surfaced to about 3% of managers. Um, so the 97% of the information that is being sent to them, actually from an actionability 
viewpoint is irrelevant. And one of the things that we're very focused on, not not just in terms of our tool, but in terms of the, the whole concept of how we talk to retail is getting rid of the noise and focusing people on the things that which are relevant to them at the right time in the right place is so important to the nature of where we're all going with our lives, whether it's on the customer side of things, whether it's on the social side of things, it's something that we should be thinking about on the employee side of things as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of brings us on to the the next crux of the conversation, I think, which is around this personalization of information. So we know as we speak, and probably unfortunately for the next 18 months, two years, rising costs, um, national living wage is going to go up. They're probably going to drop the threshold down to 21s, which means another group of people will jump into that, which I think is great, but clearly a cost for um, the employers. Energy is at an all-time high War always brings uh, instability across the world. So by personalizing that data, are you seeing that you're starting to free up those leaders' time to make better use of of their time? Because clearly most managers and field managers are are more at the higher end of the the pay scale than colleagues in supervisory roles. So we need to make sure that we're getting the best value out of them. Yeah, I I think it's that, but I think it's three things in particular. So I, I think the first thing is absolutely Deploying resource in the most efficient and productive way has to be one of the priorities with any organization at the moment, because particularly when you've got labor challenges, when you've got labor cost challenges, making sure that the time is spent the most efficient way um, is going to give value to, to, to your organization, either from the ability to actually see gain somewhere else or the ability not to need to hire in other areas um, and put the cost up in those in those areas. But the the, the couple of other things I think we see is, is actually, firstly, the focus element of things, which is when you personalize something to someone and you give them the right information at the right time, things get fixed quicker. So rather than having a piece of inventory that wasn't out on shelves for two weeks before they caught it up or not doing the stock take properly for four weeks until they took it up or not seeing that there was an issue with take an example at the moment, someone putting their gas up or their their air conditioning up in an area beyond what you were expecting and not getting hold of that quickly. Getting hold of those things that week or or the day after that they're happening and getting them fixed can lead to a a 20% improvement versus where you were going to be over the previous two weeks when you're looking at the control group, which, which is just dollars that come back into or pounds that come back into the bank account. And then the final thing I think is a super important thing that we we all should be thinking about at the moment is actually the time to onboard or the time to engage someone, which is how much value are you losing from not getting new managers or new employees up to speed quickly enough, which again, it's just value leakage if you're not giving them the right tools and training and the right information where they can easily get themselves engaged um, rather than complex reports, complex systems, which takes longer um, and is more cumbersome to, to to get them up to speed. Yeah, that makes sense. And in in a market where there's more jobs than people, clearly, clearly if those first impressions right through from initial interview to the initial to the then the onboarding and the first weeks month in in the business, if people know that there's other opportunities out there, then they're not obliged to stay. And and clearly they never have been. But the fact that there's just more jobs means it will be easy for people in the infancy of any uh, employment. To quickly move out, yeah, absolutely, and and I think that there's there's two ways of directing that, isn't there? Which is the first one is 
A, realizing that and realizing you need to put in place mechanisms to get that onboarding uh, better because if, if you're taking six to nine months to train someone and their average length of being at your organization is 18 months, then you're only getting nine good months of, of employment. Um, the other realization is actually to, to focus on retention and engagement, uh, which again, when we see from our side, retained and engaged employees, it's common out there, but they're more productive, they're more efficient, and they're more engaging and collaborative with the rest of the organization. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the every organization I think I've worked in, that whole recruitment process, and I know there's lots of automation in there now in terms of the kind of psychometric test that potentially people at that level would take and all the other bits there's still a big human element in gathering those sifting those arranging interviews screening interviews then interviews with potentially future line managers there's never really a in a business a a quantification of the cost and i've seen some good examples in somewhere they've actually tried to put a cost on the whole end-to-end recruitment process of a colleague plus the uniform plus the you know maybe ordering a car and all that kind of stuff and when you see that it becomes frightening if you know as you say if people leave within two years it's negative equity yeah no absolutely and you know that's just on the employee side of things if you think about the the manager side of things where people have invested less in training have invested less in resources which is one of the things that we're seeing at the moment what impact is not giving the right resources to them what is impact is not having given the right training to them having on the organization as well yeah it was interesting uh, just this week actually on training we were having a workshop with a, a retailer in the uk talking about uh, labor budgeting and um just kind of getting a, a workshop around how we're going to configure the, the labor budget for them and we got onto training and it was kind of so how much training do you want to budget for conversation was well it's going to be costly but the point was but you're supposed to be doing it anyway if you're not budgeting for it then you kind of can't be surprised if it doesn't happen because it, it will be along with service one of the first things that go so people will sacrifice their training because they're busy maybe do it at home if it's an online portal which is an ideal and gets you into all those dropping below national living wage potential um averages if it's classed as work but also people are queue longer on the till because you'll have less people on the floor so it it was a really interesting dynamic of but it's a cost but the challenge was but if you don't budget for that cost it's probably never going to happen yeah and i think the thing to add to that and one of the conversations we're ha- having a lot more with people is it's not just about the cost it's about the time yeah. which is there are a finite amount of hours that any store has. That finite amount of hours is also under pressure, not not just because of the resource you can put in store, but also because job markets are so tough that many stores are running below the labor hours that they should be at the moment. Um, but when you're thinking about any cost, I mean, there's no more time that you can put into the week or put into the organization or very little time, more time that you can put into it. Anything that you add to the organization needs to be thinking about what does it substitute what does it take out from the time point of view for for your managers for your staff rather than just adding another thing on yeah absolutely and my analogy is always the funnel is always full or overflowing so it's easy just to expect people to be able to absorb more and unfortunately certainly in a retail environment once it hits a store level there's there's nowhere else for that to go um and you tend to find either managers just work longer hours because they're salaried uh overtime clearly goes up which is a cost but as operators we learn how to deal with it because we know there's nowhere else for it to go now that's not right but is kind of unfortunately a fact of of working at the the bottom of the chain where things get passed down to so um yeah interesting really interesting in that personalization bit i love in terms of give me the right information that's for me that i need to act on let me know if i've done it 
let me know if I've not done it and probably let my boss know that I've done it so they can celebrate a good job and also let them know if I haven't just to give me a little nudge along to say come on we told you about this it's really important rather than give me everything and let me decide what's important because I'll probably make a different decision than you and we'll both make different decisions than maybe some of our colleagues. Yeah and and, and for I I hope for most retailers it should be fairly self-explanatory because everyone or almost everyone is thinking about personalization on the customer side of things and yeah i know from a retail perspective we know we're customer obsessed but what you're doing on the customer experience has to be fulfilled by someone and it's going to be fulfilled from the store employee side of things so what you're doing on that side of the business uh, just, just considering actually we're a human business and a human business on the customer side but a human business in terms of our teams as well how are we giving the same benefits that we know that the customer wants to the other humans and valuable humans in our organization which are our employees yeah absolutely absolutely and talking of kind of differences uh, customers colleagues let's just have a quick chat about kind of innovation so i know you're doing lots of work in the states you talked about uh, dollar general there in the start and i know you do lots of work in the uk how's that market looking from kind of an innovation point of view what are you seeing across the continent <laughs> Yeah, well, some you can tell from my accent, and if you heard the other founding team, you'd hear from their accents that they're they're proud Brits. Yeah. Um, you no, know, starting also from this side of the Atlantic, but around ninety five percent of our sales now and um, the customers we work with are in the US. I think what's really interesting about the US market is, I mean, obviously it's it's a huge market in terms of the store footprints and counts there, and you've got the the top two hundred stores in the US. I think only five retailers in the UK for instance, would actually make themselves into it because of their just vast footprint across the nation. Um, but the, the thing that's really interesting to us as we work with people in the UK and we work with people in the US is just the advancements that US companies have made in the last 10 years, which are only just starting to make the radar of UK companies. So how they're managing their data, how they're thinking about uh that the, the nature of customer experiences and pulling that back into the infrastructure of the organization on the supply chain side of things. It's a, it's a really interesting one. I love your views on it as well, which is it, the, the sad reflection for us is that many retailers in the UK have sort of stopped innovating for the last 10 years, um, after ever since the, 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 the financial crisis, really, in the same way as US retailers have really put their foot down and accelerated on that. And whether that's something about the culture, whether that's something about uh, the nature of technology markets in the UK, uh, the US, or whether that's something else, it, we're slightly uncertain. But it, I'd, I'd love your views on it as well, as someone who sits here on the productivity side of the UK as well, and, and, and what you think. Yeah, and we, we do a bit of work, probably less than you in, in America, and um, clearly a lot more in Europe. I think the UK has been great at creating, certainly in the retail world, three, five-year plans. I think the instability probably in lots of those organizations in senior leadership roles means that those lots of those three to five-year plans never get delivered. So it's almost constantly, the, the plan's constantly evolving, which I'm an advocate of, but actually it's then about, so what actually did you ever deliver from any of those? Somebody comes in with a new idea, new plan, never quite complete the last plan. So that, I think, is a real challenge for them. I think there's been heavy investment in, you know, the online channels. So lots on web, lots on how you deliver, whether that's direct from store or store fulfillment, or certainly warehousing has, has taken a big step forward. Um, but I think we're just now on the cusp of seeing 
lots and lots of retailers being forced to upgrade or change their payroll systems for the good and bad. There was lots of press in the news this week, unfortunately, about Next and some of the issues they'd had with their payroll systems because they signed historic 15, 10, 20 year deals with organizations that are now coming to the end. So that will drive some innovation in platforms, tech, um, you know, cloud-based solutions, which should then hopefully free up some of the productivity angles. And I I also think there's in some organizations a real uh, dilemma of do we buy or do we build? And they're still wrestling with that. And I I have quite strong views that for me, you use experts for for tricky stuff because that's why they exist. Um, Others want to do it all in-house, but then clearly you've got a big uh, maintenance model and ongoing support model. So if I was running an organization, I'd want not necessarily best of breed, but experts in all the various points because you get the benefit of everybody they work with. Um, So I I think it's tricky and scale. I think scale gives you a massive economy, clearly, as you you talked about from the US. Clearly. But I, I think one of the things that's been interesting about how, for instance, the technology market has moved on is you mentioned those 10 to 15 year deals. And absolutely... 10 to 15 years ago, people were writing long uh, deals with software like they were on CapEx. And perhaps that's the reason I, I did have a conversation with a retailer, I will not name, but a large retailer in the UK just two weeks ago. And they mentioned they hadn't upgraded their software systems for 10 years, yeah. um, which which is something just unheard of on, on, on the other side of the Atlantic. But I, I think it's maybe that that contract length and how that contract length is moving. Once the, once the things that's interesting about technology now is this movement from on-prem to cloud and to software as a service, which is the contract lengths are far shorter than 10 years. The degree of innovation of putting yourself in the cloud, and if you put your infrastructure right in the cloud, the ability to bolt on and try things and p- try things pretty cheaply, pretty um without much impact on the organization from doing it and then like these technology companies do innovate trials scale is so much higher today partly through through the nature of what's happened in the last 10 years ago 10 years than it was at the period when those large capex investments were making and maybe that the difference between that innovation curve is really that started to happen since the advent of the mobile phone since the advent of product first companies that have really driven themselves in a technology way within the US, that advent of things is only starting to be seen on, on this side of the Atlantic as well, which is you know, for us, if you get your infrastructure right, if you get your technology right in terms of having a database where you can have sales data and all other data, put it in a snowflake, put it in a 1010, it's pretty easy to bolt on a solution like ours, I mean, say two to three weeks to bolt that on rather than being open heart surgery for the whole of your organization, which I think is the reflection many have about technology today. And I think we've we've also seen a, quite a few organisations where it becomes a burning platform. So the need and the speed to move off that platform uh, becomes all-consuming, and that's yeah. clearly when it, it's a challenge for that organisation. There's there's challenges in testing, in parallel running, certainly if it's payroll, um, which doesn't lead to maybe a great experience for the colleagues. And, and ultimately, once you start impacting them, whether that's pay, benefits, uh, engagement whatever it might be, then you kind of got a bit of a, a bit of a battle on your hands. Which is why it's so core. Whenever you're working with any technology provider, and we'd say the same thing to anyone who comes to us, what, what speaking to some referral clients, but also kind of what is the onboarding time? What are the impact that you've had on various SLAs? What is the engagement with people, not just at the start, but six to 12 months later are all core things that people should be asking about technology providers rather than just what are your features and functionality? Absolutely. 
absolutely and on that note if people want to find out more about you uh quarto features and functionality where's the best place for them to get hold of you yeah, so I, look, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. What we try and do here at Quarso is we don't just talk about our technology. We like to talk about the market. We'd like to talk about management. We like to talk about ops. And we publish quite regularly on LinkedIn, um, most prominent platform that we're on. So if you look up Phil Thorne, that's that's where I am on LinkedIn. And then just go, going to our website, so Quarso.com. Um, we're always happy to speak to anyone, whether or not you want to see the nature of what we're doing or whether you just want to hear about what others are doing in your space. Um, we're more than happy to have the conversation about that. Brilliant. And as ever, we'll put the link to your profile and the link to the website in the show notes. So we just make it a bit easier for people to reach out. Uh, Final question from me then, Phil, is what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? Oh, the best um, bit of business advice I've ever been given, I think, is put yourself in another person's shoes. I think it's a really important one for management at some point. I think one of the things I've been reflecting on working with managers for a long time is that they get a pretty bad rap from society, which is, I'm sure you've heard the quotes, people don't leave bad businesses, they leave a bad manager. Mm-hmm. But actually, more and more people should reflect on the bi-directional relationships that we have within business rather than the solo relationships within business. And whenever you're frustrated with a situation that might be occurring or whether you are trying to understand what someone might have done, having that reflection of, putting yourself in their shoes and understanding what their sentiments are and why they're doing things a certain way for them and what your relationship with them can be because of that is one of the most important things you can do. Amazing. Great advice. Great advice. Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up. Always enjoy our chats and we'll speak again soon. Simon, thank you very much. And it's great to be on this.